Watch this. Jesus records, Matthew records Jesus' words where he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Isn't that powerful? Well, just where your treasure is. Now go to Romans with me, chapter number 15. We're going to read, or, excuse me, 14, verse number 5. I'm taking this one out of its context a little bit. But it's a phrase here at the end of this verse 5 that stands out in my mind. And actually, that's where I'm going to draw our sermon title from. But it says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. But notice what Paul said, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So just remember that and don't forget that. Now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. This gets into certainly some of the doctrine of the Apostle Paul. So he's addressing the very thing we're going to be talking about. We're going to read two verses here. It's the 14th verse of the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. It says here, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Look at that. Now look at verse number 18, though. A little bit out of context here, the way I'm going to use it. But notice this. What is my reward then, Paul said? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, Notice this, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. That I abuse not my power in the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, verse number 7. We're just kind of trailing here for just a moment. And if you'll stay with me, as you know, Pastor Brown oftentimes looks a little bit erratic in the direction that he chooses, but the old adage is true. There's a method to the madness, and often it will weave back together, uh, hopefully seamlessly, before we finish, chapter 8, verse number 7, Paul said, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. See that you abound in this grace also. Now just one page over probably, chapter 9, once again, verse number 7. Every man... According as he purposed in his heart, and remain in that context, every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, and not grudgingly, nor of necessity, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And we believe that to be true. In the last page, we're going to turn back now to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go from the New Testament epistles of the Apostle Paul, from a record of a moment in the restoration of the house of Israel after what's known as the Babylonian uh, captivity in which they have journeyed back to Israel. They have rebuilt their homes, their houses. The city of Jerusalem is rebuilt. The walls have been established. The temple and the sacrifices have once again become active. And the, the governor, Nehemiah, is giving instruction to the people of the land. And we're going to read three verses, 37, 38, and 39. And they just they, they, they connect to where I'm going today. And it said in the 37th verse, and that we should bring the first fruits of our dough and our offerings and the fruit of all manner of trees, of wine and of oil, unto the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and the tithes of our ground unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of our tillage. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes unto the house of our God, to the chambers, into the treasure house." For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn, of the new wine, and the oil unto the chambers 
where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers. Notice this last phrase, and we will not forsake the house of our God. Well, that was a weak amen. It was strong from the one individual that gave it, but weak from the rest of our fellowship. He said here, Nehemiah, in an exhortation to the children of Israel, he said, we will not forsake the house of our God. That's a powerful exhortation to us. And obviously, you can kind of tell where I'm going to go with this message today. I'm going to talk about things that are related to giving through the local church, the tithe. Don't check out emotionally. There's a a deep-seated spiritual principle woven throughout the entirety of it, and certainly, hopefully, with a little measure of a climatic moment here towards the end of this message. But I want to go back to Romans 14 and 5 just very quickly because it's what Paul said in that passage that stands out to me as I go into this today. As Paul was addressing certain days in Israel or the children of uh, the, the church at Rome, whether or not they should participate in the Jewish calendar, recognizing their feast days, Paul ultimately said this. He said, but every man must be fully persuaded in his own mind. You have to be fully persuaded. Well, that applies to the subject matter that I'm talking about today. You have to come to a place where you are fully persuaded in the thing that, uh, that is a part of the life stream of the church, and that's our giving of our tithes and offerings and what that should look like to us as a fellowship, to you as an individual. And you have to be willing to be taught. Right? You have to have an ear to hear. You have to have a desire to study. So today, my goal is for you to be fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Father, I love you today. I'm excited to be in this house with the men and women that are in this place today. God, they are my family today. And I'm encouraging them, but I'm equally as encouraged. And we're trusting that supernatural things have already taken place. Father, supernatural, even healings and miracles, that's what we're going to believe God for. Today, Father, we're looking to the Word of God for answers. We're looking to the Word of God for direction. We're looking to the Word of God for clarity. We pray, Lord, that you would illuminate this subject in our heart and in our minds today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, and you can be seated. Yes, it is appropriate that I, as Pastor Brown, pastor of First Assembly Heber Springs, also known as Heber First Assembly, would take the time at the beginning of each year at least one or two times to just kind of address or talk about or define inspiration in the subject of giving of tithes and offerings to the church and to identify it, clarify it, define it, bring it to a place where it hopefully encourages and opens your understanding. Here's the reality, just the, the, the frank, as honest Reality. Some people are uncomfortable talking about this subject in the church. You know, opinions vary. I found this out concerning giving to the local church and concerning whether or not we should make it in the comparison to the ancient tithe of ancient Israel. You can Google. How many of you Google search when you want to look up something? Right. Let me just tell you what you can find. You can find whatever you're looking for. So if you're pro it, for it, want validation in the way that you govern your resources and the way that you view the connection to the church, there is an author somewhere who's put information out there that will produce justification in your held position. If you don't believe in the practice of the silver hubcaps placed at the front of the assembly, 
And you walking down or people walking down and putting in an offering or a tithe and you don't believe that that's the biblical practice, I can promise you that if you search long enough, you will find someone somewhere that has an article there that will validate that particular doctrinal basis. You've got to become fully persuaded in your own mind. My challenge to you is, is you need to study and so that you can know what you believe and why you believe it. And you need to be able to confidently both defend it and also propagate it. Because I don't want to hold a doctrine that I'm not willing to stand up and defend. And then if it's truly a doctrine and I believe in it, then I believe in it enough that I want to pass it like a baton to you because I've seen what it's done in my life. I've seen what it's done in the lives of others. And I drew it from what I saw it do in the lives of the men and women that are in the Word of God. But you've got to be firmly persuaded and fully persuaded in your own mind. Does that make sense today? So let me take just a moment to kind of just give you a context in the, you know, because again, some people are a little bit uncomfortable when you start dealing with this subject matter, but the reality is, is money's just a part of our lives. It just is. It's a means of exchange. If we didn't use money, we'd use seashells, right? (laughs) And then that trip to Florida that you took and you brought back that big old bucket of shells and it's in your attic, Right there, it would suddenly have more value to you now. So it's just a means of exchange. But, but probably what's happened in the church world that's put more pressure on the local church, that's made it more difficult to talk about this issue and the subject and the necessity and the value until we make it extremely positive because that's what it should be, positive. Right? It shouldn't be, there's no negative in it when it's handled correctly. Right, but what's happened is because of the abuses of some, because some have abused it, misaligned it, because some coerce their church, manipulate their church, put a guilt trip on their church family, then oftentimes, especially sometimes, tele-evangelists, am I telling the truth today? Then all of a sudden we have a tendency to judge everybody through that experience, and that's wrong, right? And so what I want you to do is I want you to see from our heart in the Word of God. Let me just kind of tell you just real quickly a little bit about when you think about giving, of taking of your monetary gift, whatever that might be. I didn't put mine in a while ago. I wanted to hold it out right here so that I would have it as a point of reference here today of, of our finances, mine and Sherry. You know, there's, when you study the Word of God, you'll find this principle goes all the way back to Abraham, when he tithed uh, the resources, uh, the spoils of war, to Melchizedek, the king and the priest of Salem, all the way to Jacob when he pillowed his head on a stone, poured oil on it, and called it the house of God and promised in a vow to God that he would bring his tithe to the house of God. We see it also in Solomon's writings when Solomon said, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns burst with plenty. God will be, uh, bring about a reciprocation. We know it's uh, the Mosaic law. We're going to talk about that in a moment. That doesn't mean negatively. It's very positively. Jesus talked a lot about money. You can't read the teachings of Jesus without finding that he talked about, he used money as a teaching point to teach spiritual principles, but he also just addressed the, the, the issue of giving and receiving. Jesus is the one that said, Give, and it shall be given to you. 
Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Jesus taught benevolence, mercy. Jesus' ministry had a bag, a treasury bag. Luke chapter number 8, I love this. This is in one of my sermons. I love this one. As I, I want you to know, to prepare for today, I pulled every sermon that I preached over the last four or five years along this subject, 14 messages, and read them through once and even possibly part of them twice to just kind of gain re-stimulus in this particular area. I love this because in Luke's gospel, chapter number 8, the Bible says this, that there were certain women that, that ministered to Jesus' financial needs, that they gave into the resources of his ministry. And one of them was the wife of the steward of Herod's household. Now, Herod was the pagan Roman king, or, or, or I guess we would still call him a king since it was not Herod the Great, but it was his son, who, was, who, who uh, again, ultimately was a part of the... Of the um, Crucifixion, you know, he was part of the trial. Pilate and Herod, Pilate sent him to Herod, Herod sent him back to Pilate. Oddly enough, though, his steward, who's managing all of Herod's household assets, is a, his wife is a follower of Jesus and giving resources into Jesus's. Are y'all seeing that? Y'all, that may not do anything for you, but that meant God took the wealth of the wicked and said, I'm going to fund the ministry of Jesus right in the Roman world. Trump promised to build a wall. The Mexicans would pay for it, but he missed that. But Jesus is preaching to the Romans, and they didn't even know it. They were helping pay for it for his itinerating ministry. He was not afraid to hold a coin up and point to it and say, whose is this? Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Look into your own soul. Give unto God that which belongs to God. So Jesus was not afraid to use this as a reference point. Paul taught about it, giving for ministry support. Paul taught about the aid of other believers, including widows. Uh, the Bible also, through Paul's teaching, talked about the giving to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul addressed uh, giving to his own personal ministry. He used the principles in the law to validate his doctrine. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And he taught other principles in the book of Philippians, 2 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 5. The reality is this. You've got to search the Word of God. Because if you're uncomfortable talking about it, you're always going to be uncomfortable. Because it's always going to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's always going to be a part of the church. As, as, as far as I know, that there's always going to be a moment where the church is, is seeking for the people of God to have a principle woven into their heart that brings both tithes and offerings into the house of God. So the only way to alleviate your uncomfortableness is to educate yourself based upon the teachings of the Word of God and then be fully persuaded in your own mind. Let me tell you what I believe in today. Let me say this very carefully. I believe in the principle of the tithe. What is the tithe? Some of you say, Pastor, I don't even know what you're talking about, the tithe. You're talking about tithe, T-I-E? T-I-T-H-E simply means a tenth. And the tithe was practiced under the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, where the children of Israel were exhorted to bring in a tithe of all the land, seed, animals, and to bring it to the temple of God and to present it to the Levites. And so what I do is I teach from this pulpit, I don't teach the tithe as a command, I teach it as a principle. A principle of faith that I use as a starting point for my giving. Not an ending point, 
not, a, not, not the, 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 where it's wrapped up. This is where I begin at. I see it in the Word of God. I see it practiced. And, and when I think about that, let me go just a little bit farther with it. When you think about, some people say, well, Pastor Brown, I'm just not for sure that I really would want to participate in something like that. Well, Abraham believed in it. Jacob believed in it. Moses believed in it and practiced it. Solomon facilitated it. David taught it and practiced it. Jesus himself participated and practiced it, as did the Apostle Paul. Now, I know that you may be way more spiritual than that group of people that I just mentioned to you. And your doctrinal basis may be even deeper and that you don't feel like that you need to identify with that. But as for me, I'm okay with being numbered with that group of people right there. It's a stimulus for me and my family. It's instructed in the law in numerous passages. Time's not going to allow me to walk you down it, but I believe in the principle. Nobody practices it exclusively. What do you mean nobody practices the tithe? Because if you did, every time you went to your garden come June and you picked those, those tomatoes, out of every ten, you would sever one off and you'd bring it to me. It's not a bad idea, just to be honest. I mean, maybe we're missing something somewhere along the line. Most of us have adapted it to our modern culture. So even the people that believe in it as a command, you're really not fulfilling it exactly, just to be honest. But we'll debate that doctrine out on a later date. But the principle of it to me is where I start in my own personal walk with God. In the law of Moses, here's what the law said about the tithe. It said this right here. It was holy to the Lord. And when I see that, I see something very powerful with that. It's holy to God. When God uses the term holy to ascribe something that we do or we participate in, then we need to look at that. That meant it had a deep-seated value in his heart and his mind towards his children. It's an opportunity for God to prove the validity of our faith. And I'll get to that here in just a moment. So I'm just going real quickly is that there's the principle of the tithe. I believe in it and I practice it. I had to grow in my understanding of it just like you I haven't always practiced the tithe. I haven't always. Sherry and I had to flesh this out. Sherry and I had to grow. We had to pray. Sometimes we would take two steps forward, one step back. We had to go until we arrived at the place where our deep-seated convictions brought us to the realization that this is a part of God's expectation, and it's a way that I connect to the history of old, and it's a validation of my faith today, and it values, it's, it's a value system deeply seated inside of me towards the place that I tithe. That's where I'm going to go with from the principle of tithe. The tithe under the uh, Mosaic law was tied to a particular place. Let me, i got to talk to you about that just real quickly because it's a principle that, that we can't overlook. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 12, verses 5 and 6, and I'll only paraphrase it because I can't quote it. I'll paraphrase it. This God told Moses, he said, when you go into the land, there's going to be a place. He said, this place is going to be one certain place, and you're going to bring your offerings and your tithes to that place. But here's what I can quote. In verse number 8 of the same chapter, here's what he said. He said, you shall not do as we do here today. Every man just does whatever is right in his own eyes. But you know what? That's what we do today. That's what so many in the church, we validate and we justify our own position, but not from a biblical basis. We do so based upon our own consciousness that's not deeply seated in the revelation of the Word of God. But, Paul, but Moses said, you're not going to do that that way. You're not going to, I've told you this many times, this isn't Burger King, you can't have it your way. 
And so the principle is this right here. It's a place. God said there's a place to ancient Israel. What was it? It was Jerusalem. At Jerusalem was what? It was a temple. Right? And now we have the body of Christ. No, there's not just one place that all Christians all over the world go to worship. But I do believe, according to the psalmist, that God takes the solitary and puts us in families. I do believe, Hebrews 10 and 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more come together. I believe, God, that based upon your conviction of faith, God will place you in a family. And once you are placed in a family, that people and that process of worship becomes your place. And it's there that you determine in your heart that when you're going to give tithes or offerings, that's in your own personal convictions, that you're not going to send it. I say this respectfully to the televangelist. But you're going to say, because that's not your place. Because I can tell you that right now, T.D. Jace can preach, get ready, get ready, get ready. But he ain't coming to your house, to your house, to house to pray for you. Right? But the men of this house will. Right, because you're connected to a place. And so we honor God in that place, and we recognize it, and we follow a pattern that we see in the temple. When you think about the temple, it's very unique because the temple was the place, not only did they bring their first fruits, they brought their tithes, but they also brought their sacrifices. But in the temple, you had priests and Levites. In this house, we have pastors and deacons. In the temple, you worshiped God by lifting up of hands and with music. You come to this house, we strike the cord so that you'll worship. Are y'all with me? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We still call this a house of prayer. So we follow the pattern of the temple, but many times we don't take it to the next step and begin to connect to the place by bringing our tithes and our offerings. Many do, but did you know studies show that 8% of born-again evangelical Christians in the United States practice tithing? 8%. Now, our membership far more exceeds that than 8%. Thank God for it. My job's not to condemn, not to belittle. My job, Paul said this, I don't want to abuse my power in the gospel. My job's not to condemn you, manipulate you, coerce you, belittle you in any capacity. But I would not be a man of God if I didn't stand before you and tell you I believe in a principle. I believe it's in the Word of God. It's bound to the Word of God. But you got to have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And if it gets inside of you, then it will conform your life. You'll begin to conform your life to that principle. And giving won't be a burdensome thing to you any longer. Right When you have the revelation that I'm going to show you before this message is out today, I believe it can unlock not just your giving, but it'll unlock you. It'll unlock the way you give and why you give. There'll be a deeper-seated understanding. So we have the place of the tithe. But you say, Pastor, what's the purpose then? To Israel, to ancient Israel, the first and the overwhelming purpose, the primary purpose of the tithe was ministry support. And that alone throws a lot of people in today's culture off balance. Can I say it one more time? It was ministry support. To ancient Israel, does anybody remember the priests and the Levites? Are y'all with me out there in radio land? When God got ready through the conquest of the promised land, there were 12 tribes. Levi was a tribe. But they got ready to divide the land and say, Asher, you get this land. Judah, you get this land. Benjamin, you get this land. Zebulun, you get this land. Issachar, you get this land. And they went through all the 11 other sons of Jacob until they arrived at Levi. They said, Levi, 
you don't get any land. You get cities, your support's going to come from the faithfulness of the people of God. That's a principle today that we believe in, we live in. Those of us in full-time ministry here, we sold ourselves out to that principle years ago. And it came with great cost. People don't join the ministry to get wealthy. Now, I know there's some abuses of it. I know there are pastors buying Lamborghinis. I know that. I drive a 2006 Ford F-150. It is for sale if you're looking to buy one, by the way. So some people have abused it until it categorizes all of us with the abuse. That's unfair. It's a deep-seated principle of sacrifice. Mine and my family, JoJo's family, we're blessed. We're very, very thankful. But you hadn't been here on all of our journey. And you don't understand the convictions and the principles and the struggle that we go through sometimes and knowing of the sacrifice. We know of the sacrifice that people make. We live amongst you. We understand the love and the effort and the energy. And you know, sometimes you struggle with guilt and different things in your own heart and life, and you have to balance that out by the Word of God. I wrote down in one sermon that I, as I was reading those 14 sermons, and I wrote this question, would I receive a tithe that I know my ministry support, my livelihood, is part of it's going to be extracted from a tithe from a widow who's on Social Security? You know what I wrote? A resounding yes. You know why? Because I believe in the act of faith that she's participating in. Because I don't care who you are, you're never too poor to give. Right? And it would be wrong for us to compare that gift in size to somebody who's given out of their abundance. And we're not going to do that. And so God can pronounce blessing just like with Jesus when he watched the woman give two mites. Remember that in the treasury? Jesus says she's given more than anybody else. She gave out of her need. He didn't stop her from giving and neither am I because I believe in it. And we trust God that God's going to give us a livelihood through it and we're very, very grateful for it. It's a deeply seated principle. If you take the time to educate yourself, Paul said this, they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And I was thinking about that, and when I looked at the tithe itself, uh, the tithe, there's a lot of ministry that takes place in the church. And not everybody is compensated, at, certainly not, can't. It's impossible to do so. And everybody's a minister at a certain level. But if you go back and read the record in the book of the law, the Bible says this to, 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 to Aaron. It said, Aaron, we're going to bring the tithes into your house, which was the household of the Levites, he said, because of this, I'm paraphrasing, he said, because of the anointing that's on your life. Now, I'll tell you what, that's associated with the place, and that's associated with the purpose, is that I believe that God has an anointing upon men and women that are chosen to lead the body of Christ. I do believe that. Do y'all believe that? And I pray for it every day. I'll tell you what, the thing every day, and the thing that I do when I pray when I come into this house on a Sunday morning, that I pray more than anything is I say, God, let the anointing of God be upon my life. What is that? That's the sweet smell of the fragrance of the living Christ. That's the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that resides on the inside of me, but now is rising up on the inside of me to empower me to do what God's called me to do. And I'll tell you what, I know one thing about the anointing. The anointing is tangible. You can feel it. You go to a church where the person up there is nothing but a career clergyman, and there will be no distinct fragrance of the anointing of God on their life. 
but you go into a place where there's a man of God anointed by the Holy Spirit. You can feel the presence of God from the moment that you open the door and enter the room with that man of God. And so I'm trusting that God is, has anointed the men and participants in our leadership here at this church, and we thank God for the faithfulness of this church body in the provision that's brought into our house and our households. And let me tell you, we pray over your faithfulness, and we trust that God's reward you. Let me go a little bit farther. Y'all with me out there? Let me stay with it a little bit farther. The one thing I believe in, I believe that the tithe was for benevolent aid, widows and strangers, and the poor Think about this. What could we do if all of God's people tithe? If 8% are giving, what would happen? Come on, somebody. Are y'all working with me? What could we do? You know why? Uh, we, what, what's happened in America, we have a dependency upon the government for benevolence. It's been a strategic scheme of the enemy to create a dependency upon the government rather than looking to the church. Right? And so what would happen if the government dried up its resources, but you can't dry up God's resources? And people began to look more to the church for aid or help. I'm telling you, we would see the multiplication of the body of Christ. And so I'm trusting. And also, I want to believe this. Church family, time won't let me develop this. I, don't, I believe in everybody doing good and giving, and all of your giving is not bound to the local church. How many of you know that? Everything that you do in giving cannot just be to the church. I know that. I'm not trying to take away from you walking across the street and doing your neighbor good. I'm not talking about, uh, but I do believe that if you can pass your giving through the hands of the man of God, that I'm telling you, I believe that's a greater fulfillment of the practice or the principle of the tithe. Does that make sense? And so I encourage you, in, in that, and time won't allow me. I've got to move on because I'm running out of time here today. Time's not going to allow me to take you into all the promises that are connected to the tithe and to giving. How many believe that today? You, can, you cannot read the Word of God to not see that there's not a deep-seated reciprocation promise to your faithfulness in giving to God. There is, but you have to study it out today. So lastly, though, I want to show you, I've done this before. I want to do it one more time in closing today. Deuteronomy chapter 26. I want you all to go there with me, and we're going to close with this today. I've combined a lot of things, shortened a lot of things because our service has been shortened. Not short, my preaching side's been shortened a little bit because of the other exciting events that have taken place that we're so grateful for. But every year, I don't preach about this every year, but I think about it every year. I think about it because Sherry, I, others, the board, we go through a process. We're preparing, giving records. We're looking different things, and, and, we're, and we're presenting them to our church family and it causes me to take a moment and stop and look. And I'm always deeply humbled by the faithfulness of many in the body. Did you hear that? I'm humbled when I see the faithfulness of men and women. Others, I'm going to be honest, I'm grieved a little bit when I see a lack of faithfulness. I'd be wrong if I didn't say that. Because there have been many that have had ample time to grow in this knowledge. And for whatever reason are not choosing to honor or to follow that principle. Now, I pray that it never causes me to treat or respond to anybody differently, but at the same time, at the same time, I'd be wrong to say I'm not grieved because I don't believe you're unlocking your full potential. And you're not unlocking the full potential that God promises to you through your faithfulness 
and honoring him in the giving of the tithes and the offerings. Does that make sense here today? Paul said it this way in the book of Philippians, chapter number 4. He said, I don't desire a gift. Listen to this. Listen, listen. He said, I don't desire a gift. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul said, I know that God, said, we, Paul said, we may not be keeping records, but God's keeping records. And he said, I know that when you're faithful, there's an angel in heaven that's writing it down. And he said, so fruit's going to abound towards your account. The most taken out of verse, two verses of scripture, one is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4 and 13. We put that on our wristband so that our team can take the floor of the basketball game and say, man, we can win this game because we can do it through Christ who strengthens us. Right, what do you do with the national championship game, though, when you have a charismatic quarterback, spirit-filled quarterback, Tua, and a uh, deeply-seated identity in Christ uh, Baptist quarterback in uh, Trevor Lawrence? I guess you go with the Baptist coach, Dabo Sweeney, instead of the Catholic coach. Come on, that's funny right there, people. But that's what we do. We print the wristbands up and saying, do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, and we think somehow that... That, that, that's a fulfillment of that verse. Paul said, I know how to be down here, and I know how to be up here. Paul said, I know how to have a lot in my life, and I also know how to have a little, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul also said, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. How many of you believe that today? But the clear application of that is a need that was created through your giving to ministry. Paul said, you sent to my need therefore God's going to restore does that make sense so this passage here let's close with this here today I believe I'm, I kind of look at it each year and I just found myself right here thinking well let me talk about it it's worth talking about there's value to it are y'all hearing today you're hearing this this how many believe in this today I want to alleviate any hindrances that you may have because the Bible plainly says God loves a cheerful giver and I believe not only in the uh, the purpose of the tithe, and I believe in the potential that it carries, and, and all these things, passing it through the hands of the man of God, the promises. But I've shared this before, but I love to, see, to share it in closing here today, the process of your giving, the process. And I believe it's found here in Deuteronomy chapter number 26, it's verses 1 through 15. We're going to read this as we close today. We're going to go out and just see if this can awaken something in our heart and life. Now, in this particular passage of Scripture, there's a reference to two things, both the tithe, that's the 10% of ancient Israel, correct, right? To you and I, it would be a principle. But there's also the first fruits. It's distinct from the tithe. The tithe was for the, Levi the Levite support. The first fruit went to the priest's support. And then the tithe of the tithes went for the support of the priests. But in this passage, the author Moses here is given to, in both instruction for both the first fruits and the tithe. So we're going to weave it all here together. So you may practice tithing. You may not call it tithing. You may call it giving. You may give 10%. You may give 2%. Whatever you call it, that's between you and God. You've got to be fully persuaded. Are you all with me out there, church family? And no PM service, so I'm, I've got you here to finish this message here today. You've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind. Right, and I want you to be confident. I want you to be. I want to take away guilt. I want to take away grief. I want to take away that twisted feeling that you have inside. I want to take away all of that, and I want to see you empowered with the principle of faith that motivates you and stirs you until you can do exactly what Paul said. God loves a cheerful giver. 
You can give out of faith and with an expectation and a smile and you rejoice and you thank God for these things. And when you begin to unlock the truth that's connected to it, it'll be a great blessing to you, your house, and your household. You won't be bothered by it again. You won't want to turn and run. You don't want anybody uh, looking at you. You won't take that dollar bill and roll it up so tight that it takes two ushers to unroll it because you don't want anybody to see what you're putting in the offering container. Y'all hear me today? Because you'll be fully persuaded in your own mind. You'll be walking confidently before God. You'll be honoring God and trusting that God will honor His Word. And so in Deuteronomy chapter number 26, verse 1, it says, And it shall be when thou art come into the land. What is the land? That's the kingdom of God for you. That's your faith. That's moving you from that place of being unregenerate, lost in sin, and being brought into the possession of your faith in God, into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, when you possess it and when you dwell therein. He said, Thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of thy land that the Lord thy God shall give thee and shall put it in a basket. What's that basket? For us, that's an envelope. For that, us, that's a, a, a silver hubcap. For us, that's a basket right here on this altar that's laid here. I have a basket on purpose. Why do I have a basket? We're at a generation of online giving. We're a generation of secure giving, things of that nature. We have the, the sanctified looking uh, offering containers that are here on the platform every week, but I've got a basket, an old-fashioned basket on the altar. Why? Because Deuteronomy 26 said, take your tithe and put it in the are you hearing what I'm saying today? I'm just trying to make a connection. I want to be motivated by a biblical basis. I want to make a connection to a practice that was held dear long ago. And he said, you'll put it in a basket. And where were you going to go? Look at this with me. Where are you going to go? You're going to go down to McDonald's and you're going to bring your tie down there. You're going down to Conway and you're going to pull in to, to, the, to the nice restaurant up up the hill because you held your tithe back so that you could then go out to eat with your family. No, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to go to the place. Isn't that what he said? which the Lord thy God shall choose. If God chose to place you in this fellowship, then this is your place. You can stop looking. You can stop wondering if God has led you to this house, to this people, to this congregation, and to this pastor, then you are in the place that God's called you to be at. And so let's go further. He said, and thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days. That would be the preacher. And he said, and say unto him, say unto this, I believe in the power of profession. And I love what he instructed uh, the, the, the worshiper to say. He said, profess this day unto the Lord thy God. I'm coming to the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers. And the priest will take the basket out of your hand and he will set it down before the altar of the Lord and he'll make that connection of faith. It'll go from your hand into the hand of the man of God. The man of God will take it and put it in the basket and lay it on the altar. And in the meantime, you're professing. You're thinking about where you've been and where you are right now. And look what he said. He took the children of Israel, the fifth verse and the sixth verse and the seventh verse into their Egyptian bondage. He said, my father was a Assyrian and he went down to sojourn in Egypt and we dwelt there a long time and after many years of hard bondage and oppression by the Egyptians we cried out to God and God heard our cry and he brought us out of our bondage and you say pastor what does that mean to me sitting here today well go back into your past go back to when you were an adulterer a fornicator go back to when you were bound by drugs and alcohol and your life was a tore up mess and you were abused and you were an abuser but you cried out 
out to a God that heard you and he brought you out of your bondage. He brought you out of your sin. He brought you out of your pain and he brought you into the land that you now possess. And your whole life has been radically turned around by the glory of his covenant and by the power of his grace. And the old man died and the new man's been made alive in God and you're not the same because he's worked a miracle in your life. Glory to God. That's what he said right there. You say, I didn't know he said that. Well, that's what he said right there. And now he brought us into this place, and he's given us a land that flows with milk and honey. God will flow blessings into your life. Let me tell you, God's desires to bless his children. I believe that. Pastor, you a prosperity gospel preacher? Yes, at certain degrees, to certain levels. And I'm going to rejoice. <laughs> It's an act of worship. That's why I tell you, and that's why these other pastors, when they take up the offering for me, they tell you, you're not stopping worship. Some of you think that we stop worship when we come and give our offering. You don't know what we know. We are not stopping worship. We're taking it to a next level. And we're saying, God's brought me out, and God's brought me in. And God gave me seed to sow. He's going to give me bread to eat, and He's going to multiply my seed sown. I'm going to rejoice as I give to God. You can turn to your neighbor when you come down every Sunday and say, if you knew where I came from, it would shock you that I'm in this house today putting this seed in this basket right here in front of the man of God. But you're making your profession of faith and you're holding fast to what you believe and why you believe it. Glory to God. What a powerful thing it is. And he said that God, we rejoice in which the Lord thy God's given us. And then the 12th verse, we're only reading through the 15th and we're going to wrap it up. And I'm going to ask Aaron to join me. Matter of fact, I think, Aaron, if we can, we lost Shane, but we've got offspring up there. That song, there was such a power connected to that song today, wasn't it? I think we ought to bring our worship team back and ask them if they would do that one more time here today. Or maybe not just one more time, but in just a moment. But let me finish preaching here, if y'all would. Can we do that as they come back, as our worship team comes back? Can we give a thanks, uh, you know, offering, a hand uh, clap offering to our worship team and all that they do? I say it all the time, I'll say it again, while we deeply appreciate our bearded psalmist, he's not the only one with the anointing. Come on, somebody, amen? Look at the 12th verse. Let's read these together. When thou hast made an end of tithing all the tithes of thine increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and you've given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that, thou may, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. Then thou shalt say before the Lord, look at this. This is where it starts to shift and it gets very personal to you here today. This is where it's going to demand. If you're ever going to move into a season of spiritual growth, I preached last week about a new year or a new season. Y'all remember that message last, last week? A new year or a new season. If you're ever going to go into a new season and you want, there's been a desire in you to do this, but what happens is, Paul said, it's not enough to have the desire. You've got to have the willingness to follow through. But look what he said, because here's what happens. Here's what happens. He said, look what he said when you come. He said, I brought away the hallowed things. If you start looking at your tithe as holy, it'll change the way you look at it. Because you'll feel altogether different 
taking your tithe money and ordering a movie off Prime Movie, whatever it is, or Redbox. You'll have a hard time doing that because you'll say, no, that's hallowed money. Did you hear that? You will. You'll have a tough time. Once you start seeing it as hallowed, holy, you'll have a tough time in your spirit with taking your tithe money and going down to the marketplace in Conway instead of presenting your offering to God. Look what he said. You say, Pastor, are you real? Are you, are, are you what, you're making this up? Now, read it with me right here. Hey, look at this, 13th verse. He said, you're going to be able to say before the Lord, I brought the hallowed things out of my house. Now, I've given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and to the widow, according to all that you commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandment, neither have I forgotten. Look what he said, 15, 14th verse. I've not eaten in my morning, neither have I taken away thereof for any unclean use, nor have I given aught for the dead. So you could break that down easily and say, you know what happens to your tithe. It's not that you don't give it. It's just we often give it some other place. Are y'all with me out there? And that's why it takes a step of faith to move into this season of life that you might be on the edge of going into. It takes a moment in your life where you stop saying, where you start saying, you know what, God? I've always felt like I couldn't afford to tithe. There will come a moment where it will transition inside you and say, I can't afford not to tithe. That's what will happen when you yield and you learn principles of faith. And I'm not coercing you here today. This is not guilt. This is not manipulation. This is instruction from the Word of God based upon deep-seated principles that are in my heart and in my life. But you've got to be fully persuaded in your own mind. If all this is is an annual tithing sermon to you, then I've missed it. I've missed it. I'm not trying, in essence, to build up our church giving. I'm trying to reveal to you a principle that I saw in the Word of God, and many, many others have seen it. It's not exclusive to us. It's just the fact that we searched for it. We wanted to know. We took the time to study. And then we base what we do upon that biblical conviction. And I believe in it enough that I'm willing to tell you I believe that I should be willing to speak about it because I want to hand it off to you. I want to hand this principle off to you. I tell you, one of the, some of the greatest moments of growth that I've observed in the lives of my children is when I've watched them learn to tithe. That's been exciting. To see them start beginning to move it out of their own. They were blessed because they were in the house and the household of man and woman of God that had the blessing of God upon their life. But now they got their own household. And when I start hearing and learning about, you know, well, I've got this right here, but after I tithe it. Shatakaya right there. Pastor Brown, why does that so motivate you? Because look at number 15. Because, see, I prayed it for them in the past. But see, as this becomes real to them, it won't be dad praying it. Come on, they'll be the ones praying. Look at it. This is when you tithe and you give and you believe in what you're doing and you put it in the basket and you remember where you used to be and now you know where you are and you thank God for it. Now you call upon the name of the Lord and you say, God, would you look down? Would you look down from your holy habitation? 
And would you bless the people of Israel? Would you bless my life, God? Would you cause me, Father God, to have the favor of God upon my life? A confidence to live in a world of uncertainty with a hope and a promise that all my needs are provided for in Christ Jesus. Come on. David said, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging bread. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I want you to be firmly and fully persuaded as you stand up in your own mind. I want you to know today, I want you to change the way you give. I want you to rejoice in what you do. I want you to know that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when you realize that He saved you for a purpose. He redeemed you to be a bright and shining light. He brought you to this place so that you might lift up holy hands and worship Him today. I'm going to close. I want to ask you. We're going to sing this song. If you want to come back to the front and worship with us, let's worship God today. And let's be prepared to be all God's called us to be, even in the area of our finances. Come on, church family. In Jesus' name.